Hello, I'm Alex Mansfield, the host of Manny Talk Shooting, and welcome to another episode. This is the shooting podcast where I talk to individuals all across the shooting industry. We'll talk competition, self-defense, concealed carry. If you like this content, check out our YouTube channel, Manny Talk Shooting. And without further ado, let's get to this episode. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to another installment of Manny Talk Shooting, the shooting podcast um, that I enjoy, and I'm a glutton for punishment, but I do enjoy it. So uh, welcome back to another episode. It will be a great one. Um, as always, we talk about the title sponsor, the best sponsor, Go Fast, Don't Suck. They make these awesome banners that I have behind me. They make my custom jerseys. They make dry fire decals for your, your living room that your significant other may or may not like around the house. But go check them out, gofastdontsuck.net. In the order notes, tell them Manny sent you. Move on with your day. Without further ado, we are going to talk to um, um, someone you may or may not have already heard of, uh, Mr. Drew Maruski. Drew, how are you doing today, sir? Pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for sitting down with me in this wonderful mid-July day. We're going to have an excellent conversation today, so uh, we'll have a blast. I think the listeners will too, and it'll all be good. Um, I, I guess I'll preface this saying is, I guess, I think the first time I met you, I was, what, 2022 Area 5, I want to mm-hmm. think. You and your uh, your squad of miscreants, I want to think, like... If I remember right, it was like you, Joey Zadick, uh, Dan from D2 Custom, and Patches. Yeah, the merry band of misfits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys weren't that misfitty, but uh, <laughs> I will say that uh, your buddy, your boy Patches sticks out like a sore thumb sometimes. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's a but, good dude, but it's, it's we always like to have fun, man. Our squad, when we travel... Yeah, I mean, it's enjoy the fun. We like it when all the RAs, when we come up, we wave, and they wave back and smile. You know what I mean, we like keep keep it all these good vibes. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, then, yeah, you shoot with, what, James Anderson? No, not James. No, yeah, it's yeah. Ryan Snyder yeah. and James Anderson. There we go. Funny story is, what was it? I think we were at Buckeye this year, and I was I was like, I had a trophy for, for, for Ryan. Ryan Snyder, but I, like – I thought James was Ryan. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he looks like a he looks like a Ryan, and then it worked because they were standing right next to each other. Like, like there you go. It's funny because I actually uh, a lot of people think that James and I are brothers or related. Is it because of like the a, beard? Is, is... I guess the beard or like this. I don't know. I, I mean, mean we're, you... we're kind of both goofy, but you know. I mean, I guess it could kind of work. You could, from a distance, maybe, but like, yeah, two different people, people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from a distance, I could definitely see. You know, I mean, how that could be like mistaken. Do you know what I mean? But up close. <laughs> so, so just carry his PCC for him next time. Maybe we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've thought about that. Like carry the case and just kind of be him for the day. Like trade mm-hmm. places. <laughs> Unless the match up. performance is horrible, and then, then it's okay. Yeah, in that case, then it's like no, we'll stay for that. <laughs> right. Exactly. But. I guess uh, after, I guess we should get into this, but it's all good. We're gonna, you guys are gonna like this show. But anyway, Drew. So, the people need like a brief of who are you and how did you get in shooting. My name is Drew Marischke. I'm from Pittsburgh, PA. Um, master class carry optics, master class IDPA. Um, I got into it uh, shooting down at Defense in Depth in West Virginia. And a couple of friends were going down there Tuesday night to. Uh, they had like a three stage like USPSA practice and. Started getting into that, really liked it, and then found out there were locals near me and started shooting those and got in with a good crowd of people. And then I started doing majors and started seeing how many cool people there are around the country and stuff like that. And 
I've just been doing it ever since. So, always something you're always, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So what got you even to start going to the, even those practice nights? Like what said you wanted to go to those? Like, cause it, it can't, for most people, it's not like I'm going to go practice at something I've never done before. Yeah, like it, it was actually like I was kind of hesitant on it first because I had originally done like long range, long range rifle stuff like that, and then I had a few friends that just kept going every Tuesday night, and they were like, "Dude, it's fun! Like regardless of whether you suck or whether you're good, like it's just cool. You get to run around, you get to shoot pistols, and it was something they had never done before. And finally, it was a uh, it was getting closer to winter time, and there was really nothing to do, so I was like, "Well, but, you know, I'll go down there and try it." And next thing I know. I'm on my way home and ordered a shooter's connection belt and all kinds of stuff because it was just like this is cool you know what i mean and it was it was actually it was just something fun to do like over the winter time and then kind of started getting somewhat decent at it and once the spring hit and all the local clubs on practice course started showing up like saw how close i was to a lot of matches and just started getting into the local scene and started doing that I bought a cheap canic sfx tp9 and started shooting that originally and and shooting them ever since so. so yeah you're right i mean it's definitely not something that you know you just look up and you go yeah i'm gonna go try and do that because the first time i actually did it i borrowed a friend's holster belt uh walter ppq5 like i didn't even have my own gear i just kind of borrowed it and said all right cool let's try it and next you know a couple weeks later i had all my own gear and i was really trying to start to fall down that rabbit hole just like everybody else does Right. Yeah. Cause I know from my experience personally, it's like, I <laughs> didn't, uh, you know, I, I found it on YouTube or through the internet. I think maybe it was Instagram, like, and, yeah. and the, the obsession kind of started growing. I, I would never have think to go out, you know, do a practice night of all things first and be like, I'm new, <laughs> but at least luckily you borrowed a friend's rig. So that means you probably, uh, they probably stuck around with you and, uh, had fun. Yeah. It was cool because like, I'd always watch shooting USA, like on Sunday mornings. You know what I mean? So, like, way back in the day, I knew about J.J. Ricasa and Max Michelle, and you know, I was just thought, I was like, man, that'd be cool to do, and then finally, like I said, once I started realizing, like, after I got out of the long-range rifle, it was like, all right, let's try something different, and I had played tournament paintball, like, in my teenage years and in my early 20s, and this was kind of the same kind of vibe, of, you know, running fast, kind of getting to do stuff, and like I said, it was just something, it kind of came natural, like, it was fun, and I guess just the learning curve of it, all the dry fire and just see how much you can do to really better yourself was kind of, I think it's kind of that cool individual sport in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? You can be responsible for how far you go and how far you take it really. Yeah. I mean, it truly isn't. And that's the best thing is you don't actually need, like I know Anderson talks, you know, you know, to be a GM, he didn't ever have to go to nationals. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the cool thing. You never have to leave your local club. So, but you nah. can do all the work really in your basement or in your spare bedroom and do a bunch of dry fire. That's the cool thing about this. It really is you get in what you put it, you know, you get out what you put into it. Well, the nice thing too was the availability. Like, for, you know, being at, most of the clubs are about 45 minutes, maybe an hour and a half around me. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I did like long range rifle and stuff, you were driving two hours, three hours sometimes just to find somewhere where there was a match going on. So it was kind of, it's more convenient, like you said, the being able to do a lot of practice in your basement and doing stuff like that. It's really that's like Steve Anderson's book was my first one that uh, refinement and repetition. 
Mm -hmm. So those first 12 steps was just kind of the, like you said, like going on YouTube and starting to research everything. Steve Anderson kept coming up. And then, like I said, I got that first book and started doing the drills. And <laughs> it does work. I mean, it's really, you know, the dry fire is very critical to maintaining or even gaining, as I like to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. You definitely get, how do I put this? You definitely can lose it without touching the gun but when you, it, it kind of seems like it comes back like you take a like a two like a two week break a month break and it's right back on there after a little bit of dry fire which is always the cool thing too now yeah so you were talking a little bit about long range and i'm kind of curious how'd you get into that uh same thing i had a friend that we were going to mcdonald's uh, sportsman's club and they started out with doing it was like a 100 200 yard match was just something pretty plain. And then they said they had a groundhog match that they did once a month. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll try that. It was a one to 500 yard match. It was pretty simplistic. You know, I mean, five shots, each target, each distance, and then, you know, scored points and such. <clears throat> and I started getting into that and I started shooting a thousand yards and 600 yard matches. And really that's where I got interested with that because the reloading side of it was always super intriguing to me. But then uh, calling the wind and actually shooting great groups and then actually going and competing, that was when it became really fun because when you do like bench rest, so bench rest style, there's 10 people on the line. They call, you know, you get a sighter period, you can sight your gun in, and then they hang the target up and you shoot five at it. And it's basically they do either best group or best score. And then whoever has best group and best score out of those two relays, they go into the finals. And then the next relay, same thing. And then they face off against each other, each other in a shoot off. And then it was really cool because at that point, it's kind of like how you see the shoot offs in USPSA. Like there's just two people there. Everybody else is watching. It's pretty much whatever your target prints and whoever wins in the finals. So, and it was fun. Like it was a, uh, it was something that like friends were doing. It was something we would kind of travel for. We would go to West Virginia, Ohio, very various places like that. And, and it was just, it was fun because once you, it was the same thing. Like once you started getting better at it, it was really cool to see like being able to shoot five inch groups at a thousand yards. When, you know, I originally started, I was like, it would just be cool to do that. And that's, that's not even like the best groups. I mean, I've seen people shoot way better, but it was a different discipline. Um, I mean, I'd always shot rifles and stuff growing up. So it wasn't new to me but it was very, very humbling because when you go out there and you're like, oh, I'm going to do real good. And then you see what other people are shooting. And it's like, okay, I got a little, little bit of work to do. You know what I mean, but it was definitely fun. And uh, it was just basically kind of like whatever friends were kind of getting into. I guess I would just kind of follow a little bit. If it was one of the things where I liked it, I'd stick with it. If it wasn't, just move on to the next thing. It was fun. Yeah. Like, like I would say localish to me. It's it's three hours away, but there's a two thousand yard range. Well, it's one range with two thousand yard ranges on it, which mm -hmm. is super big. Like F class, P, like F class competitions and PRS all the time are there, you know, which is cool. And you know, funny enough, is I got into practical shooting, and then I found out my next door neighbor uh, to the south of me is a PRS shooter. Uh, and uh, if I if Fred, if you're ever listening to us, I doubt this, but I called dibs on all your primers. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he's a you know he's a machinist by trade so he'll do his own barreling and stuff so it's super cool to see like 
the, the, the hard details that he needs to have in there. And he'll talk about like wind and mirage. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'll shoot like 50 yards with a pistol and be okay with that. Yeah, it was, I was, uh, user precision was my guy that I worked with James Ezer. He was a machinist and uh, also a competitor. And he really kind of took me under his wing for like, you know, really learning how to tune a gun and how to tune like a load for it and what works better and knowing the differences, like you said, of the temperature ratings and the barometric pressures and reading the mirage and stuff like that. And then there were various other people that helped along the way, like my one buddy, Tom Dunn, really helped me learn reloading and like the process of it. You know, it's, it's a marathon. It's not, don't rush it. You know, don't have distractions like your phone or anything like that. Always double check everything. Yeah, especially like in USPSA, you constantly see like squib rounds and stuff like that. So it's like, I'll do I, something that Steve Anderson actually kind of, uh, he's mentioned it on his podcast and even told me is he'll weigh all of his rounds, loaded rounds, like before a major or something like that, because you'll see a consistency of weight, you know what I mean, with a loaded round, bullet, et cetera. And if you get one that's, you know, four grains off or four and a half grains, and, you know, obviously you see your powder charge is missing, you know, set that one off to the side. And don't have that be a possible issue. Yeah, you know I mean, so it's a mm-hmm. little things like that. You know, what I mean, just to just to stay on the safe side of things. You know I mean, because reloading is something that you know it can be great to do, and it can also be very scary if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Now, I'm assuming you got into reloading due to PRS. You know, the long range rifle shooting, right? Yeah. Yeah. So was it a single stage? Was it a progressive or turret? Uh, actually, it, for the Ventress F-Class PRS stuff, I actually had multiple single stage presses set up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they would have different various things. Uh, I actually used an inline seater to seat my bullets so I could read the PSI on the actual seating pressure because that actually made a difference at 1,000 yards, you know I mean, with the way that the bullet released and everything. Um, so there was always a very meticulous process like maybe you know with first night i would resize the cases i would kneel you know i'd kneel and resize them the next night go through and doing trim work to them chamfering clean them up you know then third night you're doing your powder charges and everything and then you finally go and load all the bullets and then you kind of separate them and their psi charges and there's a whole whole like recipe for it that you can just like i said it's it's something where if you want to rush it your results will show up on the paper. Whereas if you take time, I've often like to said sometimes that matches like that are one on the reloading bench, not on the shooting bench, because it's all how much effort you put into everything around the match, I think is very, very helpful. Oh, I, I would definitely agree to that. I would honestly agree to that. Like I, I definitely know from the time I've spent like at my neighbor's reloading bench, it's like, He's got the press, but he's got the little trickler right next to it. Just be like, I need that one half of a tenth. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's. I mean, I have an auto trickler that does that where you can set the timing on it. Mm-hmm. And then it throws it right down to an exact amount. You know what I mean? Because for bench rest and PRS, like, you definitely want to be very consistent on stuff like that. You know, like with pistol, well, you find your window or, you know, you're making power factor, you're pretty good. You know what I mean? But with the long range stuff, you could definitely tell just because and it would show up more in the chronograph sometimes than it would on the paper. You know what I mean? But realistically, like if I was going to shoot a thousand yard match, I would go and take my equipment and actually tune a load for a thousand yards because there would be times where a 600 yard load data wouldn't be as efficient. Sometimes it needs a little bit more powder charge. Sometimes it doesn't. 
but sometimes you know there's just little variables the way that the, the bullet travels past that 600 yard mark to where you know you really got to play the differences because some people do load testing at like 100 yards and be like all right i'm good with that but then that'll usually work to like 600 yards you know what i mean but if you really want to fine tune it and really get a a good load going, especially like for f class where you only get two siders and then you're throwing 20 shots you know what i mean consistently you really want to know what that load is doing from a cold bore to a warm bore and how the difference is because there's actually a trick to that too of running like the slower nodes as the barrel warms up because then you know they're supposed to shoot slower but as the barrel speeds up it actually keeps the same consistency through it and i said there's all kinds of little tricks to the sorcery of making it work but it's definitely another rabbit hole that if you go down it it's definitely worth learning and definitely it pays off because even like with reloading for pistols now like i don't get anywhere like as in depth for you know doing the powder charges and all that but you know load development's the same way as i would for bench rest you know i mean shoot groups through the chronograph see what the power factor is doing once you know you're making great power factor then you see what the group's doing on the paper maybe push the bullet in a little bit just to make sure you got your good feeding on the magazines and then pretty much go from there. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a whole science to reloading. It seems like some people are more methodical than others. Like people would be ashamed at what I do to reload. I mean, I mean, even with major, you, you just fill the case full of powder. You, you scrape it off with the bullet and you seat it. Right. <laughs> and, right. And, and, and then I hand you my ammo and say, shoot it through your canic. Yeah, well, dude, hey, I will say that I have mistakenly done that with somebody else's ammo where I've shot a few major rounds through it. And I will say it will hold up, but I do not recommend doing it for uh, extended periods of time. Oh, no. that No. Well, especially <laughs> when you're, if you're using the same bullets, too, and you're like, oops, you know, the same projectiles nope. don't work. <laughs> what, what surprised me was that it actually seated in my chamber. Because a lot of your major rounds, they stick out a lot further. And mechanics and CZs have a shorter chamber. So it either pushed it back in upon entry or, I don't know, maybe I just got lucky because it was a round nose bullet. But there was definitely a decimal difference when you shot it and a definite felt recoil difference. Oh, so yeah, absolutely. Oof, that'd be spicy, especially through that polymer gun. It, it, yeah. might, it might turn into a SIG and blow up on you. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. It, it, it's, it's luckily held up, but I would not condone like trying to test the theories of that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You want... I... No. <laughs> yeah. So, so now I'm curious. So you don't use a single stage to reload your pistol ammo, do you? No. no, no, no. <laughs> that no, would take forever. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd, I'd, still be, I'd still be loading for next week's match. Yeah. You know. Uh, I have a Hornady lock and load progressive press setup. I use that for uh, my pistol stuff. It was originally I got it for like loading two, two, three, and five, five, six, and then never really loaded much five, five, six, or two, two, three with it. And then got some nine millimeter dies, and that's been that. So. Right. So, you know, so originally when we started talking, you were talking about practice nights in West Virginia. You, mm -hmm. I'm assuming you live in Pennsylvania, or do you live in West Virginia? I live in Pittsburgh, PA. So yeah, oh, okay. that's like it was. It was a that was like the only indoor match during the winter time. And like I said, my buddies were driving down, so all I had to do was drive ten minutes to their house and jump in a car. And okay. Good. Yeah. You know what I mean, but once the springtime kicked off, like we have, uh, like right in near where I live, you have Lawrence County, mm -hmm. East Huntington, Greater Pittsburgh, 
um, Pitcairn, Monroeville, uh, Pardo, uh, Gem City, uh, DSS out in Ohio. It's about two hours or so. Scott puts on great matches there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like just seeing how many places I could shoot, it was like every weekend. You could literally shoot two different matches if you wanted. You know I mean, like there was, it was almost like that. It was almost kind of spoiling. You know what I mean? Like I was like, damn, man, I can shoot everywhere if I want. And and that was what made it nice because once I saw how close they were, you know what I mean? You could just go and shoot there. And then like I said I could drive up somewhere Sunday and shoot somewhere else and just got as much experience as I could with the live fire. You know right. what I mean? Just. Mm-hmm. And just meeting different people and just actually, you know, like I'd go, uh, I think my first match ever, I think it was Flares in Sportsman's Range. And they're like, you bring ammo for the afternoon. I'm like, nah, man, I just figured it was the morning match. They're like, no, oh, no, we shoot the afternoon too. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, so next, and then they told me about the next match they were going to the next weekend. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna make sure I bring ammo for both morning and afternoon since they run them. And I, I kind of figured out real quick too when they asked me to shoot the afternoons because they want people to help break down, which I'm cool with. You know, I mean, because mm-hmm. it's a volunteer thing, but like I slowly picked up on it. Where it's like, ah, oh, gotcha. You know what I mean? But, but yeah, it, was, it, it just started to become just like a, a snowball effect. You know what I mean? Just started shooting here, then here. And then mm-hmm. Just everybody be like, you coming here next week or are you going here? And like I said, it was, it, was, it was super fun just because of the crowd that was around and everybody's always willing to help you out. And, I mean, a lot of good places, a lot of good variety of stages, too. You know what I mean? So you wouldn't just have one place you go out and test your skills on different things. Different match directors do different things with stages. You know that. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So so speaking of that, you know, when you got in, um, what was your training regiment like when you kind of first got started? Lots of dry fire. Lots of dry fire. Um I said Steve Anderson's book was one of the first ones I got. <laughs> really just became comfortable with the gun. You know what I mean? Having it draws, reloads, and not trying to push speed at first. It was more of learn fundamentals, learn good reps. As Steve says, acceptable reps, and just keep working at it and working at it. And and using the part-times helped too. Like in his book, it talks about dropping the part-times and getting, getting down to the, the limit of human function. So at first it was a lot of that, and then I would use like the Tuesday nights for some live fire, and we'd go, you know, shooting a single bay for a little bit just to kind of do group shooting, strong hand and weak hand stuff, just to just to become comfortable with the gun and knowing what to do. And then dry fire was a lot though. Like when I first started, man, I would do probably two hours. Like I would just kind of nerd out on it with. Because there was just so much I could learn. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to try and load starts now. And I'm going to do table starts. And now I'm going to do reloads. And now I can do, you know, transitions or box drills. Or, you know, there was just so many different things. And I wanted to, like, Hansa Kim said it best. You know, you can learn by researching and, you know, I mean, the studying other things and learning what people do and what's sufficient for you. Because you can't imposter other people. I mean, you can take things from what they do, try to make it your own style. But, you have to make it your own thing. You know what I mean, so and I think dry fire really, really helps you. But you got to be honest with yourself. You know what I mean? So like you're trying to work really fast reloads, and then you just you know get the gun back up and do a quick, quick trigger pull. Like did you actually see your dot? Where was your dot? What was it actually doing? You know what I mean, so that was a big thing. And then once we got into like doing the locals a lot more, started becoming friends with people, and was finding 
people do like live fire practices and stuff and every chance I could I'd start going and practicing with people and just trying to learn more and I was super okay with making mistakes, you know what I mean? Because that way, you know, the constructive criticism of other experienced shooters, you know, I'd just take those notes and just run with them and anything I could learn. And then after a while, I took a Steve Anderson class and that was super beneficial because he really helps you learn how to be your own instructor, how to really kind of focus on your positives address any negatives or inefficiencies that you have, but create solutions for them. You know I mean? Like don't dwell on them, stuff like that. And, and it's always a progression. You know I mean? There's never like when you learn something, there's something that somebody else is critiquing on what you just learned. You know what I mean? So there's always something that can be, can be learned. And that's what I kind of love about this because you can go, okay, I'm really good at reloads now. All right. Well now do re you know, moving reloads. You know, how are you, how are you at that? You know I mean, re, re, you know, and, it's crazy because you can get dry fire so much to where you think you're getting benefits, but then sometimes you might not be, you know what I mean? But it's like, uh, like don't burn yourself out on it to where it's like, all right, I got to do this just because I have to, like, there's times where I don't feel like dry firing because I've had a long week of work like today. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm whoop, man. I'm going to hang out, relax and just, you know, be ready tomorrow. And, but it's, it's, it's definitely fun, man. Cause like a lot of people I hear, they'll say like dry fire is boring. Well, losing is boring too, right? Yeah, you know I mean nobody likes losing, so it's like take your option. Like I'd rather try to progressively learn and pick something up in dry fire. It's gonna help me get better than just keep kind of run the same monotonous. Right. At, well, yeah. I mean, I have the uh, inevitable syndrome of being the bridesmaid currently. Like, <laughs> and you know, and it's always it's not that you know, I don't have the skill to win or win my class or division. It's just the, it's always these little inconsistency problems that you get that cost you a match. Like, uh, me having a, having bad habits from shooting a Glock and doing terrible reloads with the Glock, uh, had me, uh, lose, uh, lose B class open at this major I shot last weekend. So, I mean, and then, so my coach said, Hey, you need to fix these reloads. And um, so that's what I did yesterday. I worked on these right. reloads, you know, it was either static reloads and then moving reloads. And there's always something to learn, but sometimes mm -hmm. there is information overload or you're just going through the motions. So you might as well just put the gun away. Like, and I don't know about you. Um, my forearms aren't that strong to dry fire more than maybe a half hour, like uninterrupted if I'm mm -hmm. actually gripping the gun, right. And that's always been something too is I've got to be honest with myself in dry fire, like after a reload or during the draw, did I have enough good support hand grip pressure or is that round just not even on the target because uh, I saw a dot, but I pulled the trigger and there was nothing to support it. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right because it's like, it's like what you explained, right? Like trying to grip the gun like you would in a match. <clears throat> if you realistically look at, <clears throat> there's only like what, four and a half minutes that we actually super grip the gun at a major. You know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. you, you, be shorter than that so what i normally like to do is i'll kind of break that up into one minute increments through my dry fire mm -hmm. so i'll make it to where like i have to have that grip that i would hold in a match for one minute when you're doing transitions you know hit reloads while i'm doing that because like you said am i being honest with myself because i think in dry fire people will start like you said going through the motions and they'll become lackadaisical on the grip and then it'll start to show up in live fire when all of a sudden either the gun's moving around or like you said you're starting to feel more fatigue or something like that so it's 
I mean, you, you're absolutely right. Like if, if you get like a great 15 minutes for your reloads, you're getting good imprints, everything works out well. Awesome. Walk away for it's like the casino theory, right? Like if you're ahead and you're winning, you get up and walk away for a little bit, go have some dinner, you know what I mean? Watch mm-hmm. a movie, you know what I mean? Think about what you want to do, you know what I mean? Then if you're wanting to do more, you know what I mean? Put it back. And I'll do that too. Like there's like some nights I'll work a lot of movement. I mean, where it's like uh, reacting to the beep, getting into a position, kind of observing like what the times are, like what's realistically capable of doing, what's not, you know what I mean? And then other nights I'll do, like if I've had a long work day, I'll just do a lot of stationary stuff where it's unloaded starts, reloads, you know what I mean? Or, you know, turn and draws or surrender starts or just stuff that people often don't do a lot or they overlook, you know what I mean? But like you said, like if I want to just put a good 15 minutes in, I'm going to dedicate it to surrender starts and unloaded starts. You know what I mean? Because it's like, okay, I don't have to go fast. I don't have to rush. Not a lot of intense movement, but work on just like just good fundamentals, just good reps of just, okay, meet the mag here. Get it. So I use the Burkett reload uh, drill for unload starts, for reloads. I do I actually use that for a lot of different things because it's that two beep theory. You know what I mean? Like on the first beep, get the mag to the gun. Second beep, rack and go. Same thing with reloads. And it's good because you don't have to put a lot of time in to get great results. But like you said, you got to have that to where you're being honest with yourself. So even like in dry fire, it's a Rod Epifina uh, tip that I actually got from him, which pinky finger, pinky finger, the pointer finger. So when you're doing your reload, when you're walking through a stage, right? Like if you know your pinky and your pointer finger are in that general area, you know that when you go for your reload, at least body indexing and, you know, muscle memory is going to have you in the general area. And you, you know, obviously stare at the magwell a little bit to make sure and confirm, but even in your dry fire, like when you're doing your walkthrough, like he talks about doing that where, you know, mimic the same motions that you want your body to do after the beep. Because once the beep goes off, the body just does whatever it wants. You know what I mean? It's a... mm-hmm. Well, and it's going to go on that last known repetition you've had, you know, that last short-term memory, short-term, you know, perform, well, not perform, so short-term image, I guess I'll, I'll call it as that, of what you had in the, the, the stage plan. You know, did you fully memorize like something for me lately now is I've been working on my visualizations. Um, mm-hmm. One, I used to not hardly get be able to get enough visual reps or it's like I don't give enough prep time between, you know, being the on deck shooter or, you know, the in the hole shooter to it's time to shoot now. Like it's always, right. oh, I got to go pace these targets or I'm running the timer or, or whatever. And but now I'm figuring out, you know, you got to step away enough, get enough mental reps. Um. I'm not one of those like Max Michelle kind of guys who takes up the whole bay and does like mock walkthroughs. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, because most bays don't have the space for you to do that <laughs> shit either. Yeah, it's most times you don't have that, but at least because I, I actually followed Max and him around a little bit, and he does. He stays very dedicated in his visual reps. Like when other people are shooting, he doesn't watch them shoot. Like I just kind of observed him. Like I, I didn't bother him or talk to him, but just observing like what the super squad guys do and like how they manage their match. He stays very just working his targets, working his rate, like what you're talking about, getting those visualizations to where it's almost like he's like the side seat driver. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, all right, once that beep goes off, I'm just kind of here, you know, kind of just overseeing everything, making sure everything's going as like you said, that last rep was. And, and I think that's very beneficial because that can, the more reps you get in, the better off, you know what I mean? Because like all the targets are still going to be standing right where they were when you did your walkthrough. The variable is you, you know what I mean? Me, that's where the variable is moved. That's, you know, if you're out of position, you're in position, 
you know, so many different things of if the, you know, if the gun's too low, come into position or various things like that. You know, there's, there's a lot of things we're getting, like Steve talks about that. We're getting 20 visual reps of your stage, you know, in your head like that is, is super beneficial to having very consistent runs. And the thing is too, is like, you know, I think that's where some people get upset or not upset, but you know, they'll, they have this like assessment of what they want to do. And then the final evaluation is like, Oh, well I screwed this up and I did that wrong. But you know, one inefficiency on a stage isn't bad because if you look, it's like, Oh, well, I shot all great points. I didn't take any penalties. My reload was great. My start, but you know, I mean, a lot of people actually overshadow all the great things they do with one small mistake. And like you said, it's one thing where you can go home and sometimes dry fire. You know what I mean? People are like, Oh, I missed my reload or I missed that on load start. Dry fire. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's failing. It's your first attempt in learning. You know what I mean? And that's the, this is called practical shooting. It's not perfect shooting. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's realistically be practical and know what you're doing. Right. Well, and I even know, we'll, you know, as we t- hear Steve will talk about yeah, the yeah butts, right? Everyone's got that guy who's a yeah butt. And, and if you can't find the good things in your runs, you might as well just hang up the gear and sell your guns because <laughs> there's no. Yeah. I'm- yeah, it's just like you're 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 totally avoiding the dopamine release in your brain from getting to shoot guns on your day off. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there is no bad stage. Like the only thing I like, I, you'll hear dumpster fire. You know what I mean? That's another great term. People say, "Oh, I had a dumpster fire of a stage." Did you get DQ'd? No. Okay, well, that's not a dumpster fire. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I consider like if you get DQ'd, it's like, oh, okay, you know, all right, we can throw that one in the trash. That's that sucks. But you know, shoot a no shoot. Hey, everybody does it. You're you know making a mistake or standard reload it's just hey it happens you know mm-hmm. what i mean it's part of the game right and, the, and, and hitting a no shoot is well it's either it's in your mental focus of the no shoot the no shoot the no shoot or it's uh you didn't have enough visual patience on that target to uh call your shots into the alpha or center of available brown mm-hmm. not a partial so or the best like if somebody prior like if you're watching somebody shoot and you're on deck right and you watch them shoot that no shoot all of a sudden, if you're watching that, your brain is going to, like you said, that's like your last imprint before the map, you know, before you run the stage. That's why it's just good to not watch that stuff because then, you know, people come up, oh, that no shoot, that hurt. Like, cool, man. But if you stay focused, like if you look at that double stack and go two alpha on the bottom, and I'm going to focus my dot right on that perforated A, you know, right by the Charlie line, keep myself away from the white tour. I'm not even really viewing it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even really become an issue. I mean, the, the second day, at Nats, my first stage, first target, just clipped the no shoot, like just barely got it with an alpha no shoot, you know, two alpha no shoot. And everybody's like, oh man, that sucks. I'm like, hey man, whatever. You mean like first stage of the day, you can't sit there and just let let yourself go loose because of one inefficiency when you still got a whole day of shooting left to do. You know what I mean? Right. You've got so much ground still to, you know, to 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 make. That the, right. the yeah the the ten points down isn't going to be the end of the world. Now, if it was ten points down on a ten point stage, you'd have a very big problem because you get zero points on the stage. Yeah, yeah, that's where it hurts. But yeah, I mean, and I always like to think, you know, like if I'm having a few inefficiencies, I know other people are probably going to, and if they're not, then they're the better competitors. You know, what I mean, that's the that's really how it breaks down a lot. Where be humble and defeat as you would in victory. You know, what I mean, be able to walk over and congratulate whoever wins. Don't they did a great job and just focus up for the next match and just move on. You know what I mean? There's a there's a difference that you know, I see a lot of people where 
you know, some people go, oh, you know, I'm not in this to be competitive or this and that, but then they're checking their scores or they're trying to do this, but then it's just be real with yourself. You know, I mean, we're all learning in this, so there's nobody that's truly, you know, as they say, mastered the, the sport that we're in. I mean, we have the grandmaster master theory, but everybody is still always learning. You know I mean? So it's, mm-hmm. Well, and it's not like everybody, and there's nobody, even Grafell has not shot all the points, no penalties, the fastest, right? There's, mm-hmm. So there's always improvement to be made in practical shooting. Right. Cause, That's why I love practical, not perfect. You know what I mean? It's practical shooting, not perfect shooting. You know, if you want that, go do bullseye. <laughs> but then you even got to be really perfect because you can't miss. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's that's why, like, long range, that was one of those things where it was, like, you had to be kind of, like, right on the money. Like, with F-Class, there'd be some people, they would use that whole 20-minute string to shoot all 20 shots. And there was people mm-hmm. like me, where if it was the same wind call, and I could keep seeing the same hit, I'll send them as fast as I can. You know, as, as fast as I can with good accuracy and efficiency, but everybody has their difference, like you say. I mean, it's uh, the, the top elites in the world. I've never shot a perfect match. Yeah, I mean, there's there's people that the theory goes right. You can you can win a major and never have a stage win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's the beauty about the sport. Well, what is it like? Nils Nils came in second with zero stage wins at nationals this yeah. year. Prime he's, example. He's he's consistent. That's that's his best thing. So and that's I, true. Yeah, the consistency ahead. when the, sorry the consistency is what wins in a long marathon of a match like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I figured it, I, well, at least for my level, is I feel if I have a certain level of visual patience, my consistency is higher. You have less, my, like, as long as you keep visual patience and, you know, you don't, as I put it, don't shoot like, shoot like an asshole. That's mm-hmm. how you lose matches of shooting like an asshole. But mm-hmm. uh, with a good visual patience, you'll have less mics and you'll do a lot better and your consistency will go up. That's just really what it comes down to. I mean, and sometimes you, you're... The one in a million, you absolutely got a perfect double, and there's no way to find it, and then you get a mic when you don't deserve one. But those are very yeah. far, few and far between. And yeah, I mean that happens where it's like there's those those mystery mics that people say or stuff like that. But like you said, like the, having the visual patience, like everybody thinks, oh, that means slowing down. No, no, it doesn't mean slowing down. It says, okay, I'm just making sure my dot's right where it needs to be. You know what I mean? Where if it's like you said, because you know. It, and but the thing Steve and I talked about a lot uh, was there's there was 52 pieces of steel at Nats. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So every mic that you have on steel, every makeup, right, could possibly be one second added to your time. You know what I mean? So like just thinking about like you said, like the efficiency of being like, okay, I'm gonna be one for one on all the steel, one for one on all the steel. Now don't slow down, right, to where you're kind of like trying to dial it in, but you know what I mean, make it to where it's like don't rush it, don't try to tense up and it's actually faster. You know what I mean? When you say patience, people think, oh, that means slowing down. But in reality, when you see the timer, it's actually faster. Yeah, because and I was watching over where I shot a major last weekend. And I was watching over a buddy's video he sent me. And I'm like, yeah, those makeups on steel stuck. But it's not your sights. Your sights are zeroed. It's your trigger. It's it's your grip and your trigger finger. And, and people don't realize that. It's like if your grip shit, like even with an open gun, you still have to have a good grip. Mm-hmm. even though the gun's heavy you still gotta have a good grip and press the trigger to the straight straight to the rear or it's gonna get jerked off every time doesn't matter how good the trigger is i mean 2011s have great triggers you right. still gotta have good good fundamentals 
it's the same thing I say with people like like when you're driving, right? I mean, you can drive with your knee, mm-hmm. or you can drive with your hand. Now, Grant, you can everybody can kind of get away with driving with their knee, but you're not going to be going through tight turns or anything like that. You have to be able to guide and grip the steering wheel, right? I mean, even if it's just that little bit, you have to grip it enough to be able to manage and maintain. It's the same with with gun. That's where like dry fire, like if you're not honest with that grip. That's where it starts to really show up, where it's like, oh, the makeup's on steel. Well, that's because your grip on the fourth shot, you finally went back to what works or what should be working. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's the difference of where dry fire and live fire has, their, you know, that's where you'll see. Because the fundamentals of everything not shooting is what's great for dry fire. Mm-hmm. But then I think for grip and trigger work, you need the live fire. You know, I mean, you need to feel, I mean, they have those dry fire, the cool fire thing or whatever it is, but. Nothing is going to simulate the same recoil pulse as just a live round, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and definitely. And I would, I have not, I don't think I've quite seen a called makeup on steel yet. Usually they are dirt makeups or or ding fairy makeups when you don't hear the ding, you're like, what the hell? Yep, but yeah, it's steel. Well, one on one for steel is good. <laughs> well, and that's the thing because that's for. Like watching the Super Squad guys, like day one, there were makeups on steel. Day two, they really dialed in and really were going one for one because they were starting to see the differences of those tents adding up as the day would go on. You know, and granted, like day one was real rainy, but, you know, day two, like I said, everybody kind of dialed in and really made sure that they weren't just, like you said, throwing those hopers or looking for the dirt makeups. And because some of those shots, on the one zone, it was what they were like 34 yard poppers if you took them from that one back box, like some of the people were doing. I mean, you could either go up front and shoot them up there from like 12 yards or seven yards, and then people were taking them from the back corner as long like 31 yard shots on mini poppers. And that's you know, a, a risk reward thing. It just shows to show you who practices on steel, who's confident on it. And that's really a game changer, I think, in a lot of places. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and even like on stage, what, 20? The, the three Doritos stage, as everyone called it, right? You know, you have, some people are either going to the front box, like JJ and Max go to the front box, or the rest of them decide to pretty much shoot it from the back. But, yeah, I mean, I, I went to the front box on that stage because we were, we were in heavy rain that day. I was already just wanting to just give myself the best confidence. And I knew that my my foot speed could keep me in the realm of reality. What hurt was the makeups on steel. And then the one steel didn't fall. Mm. And I was going to call for calibration. And I'm like, you know what? I know where this is going to go. It's going to fall. I'm not going to waste time with it. But the rest of the day, and then day three, I told myself there will be absolutely no, no issues with that. Like we're not going to even be worrying about calibration. Like you're going to make sure, as you said, like calling great shots. And, and if it slows you down a little bit, I don't like to say it's slowing down, gearing down. You know, I mean, just dialing it back a little bit instead of, you know. And that's realistically what I think a lot of people have to realize. Like, sometimes, and me especially, like, dude, if I try to over-try, or if I see somebody else doing something, open gun guy or whatnot, it's like, all right, yeah, I can do that. I can shoot that fast. But am I printing the same points? You know what I mean? And that's the difference of really knowing your throttle control for stages. You know, I mean, that's for a lot of people, like on far targets, that stronghand stage, that was another one where we shot that in the rain and everybody was just 
complaining about, you know, not, I wouldn't even say complaining, but you could definitely tell the rain was not everybody's friend. You know what I mean? But it was just like, you know what, do what you got to do. And I've shot in the rain before. That's one thing Steve said was like train in every kind of condition that you're going to see. Mm-hmm. Same with Bill Drummond said the same thing. Like, you know, practice everywhere, anything, make practices harder than what you're going to see. The day one, I didn't really mind the rain. I mean, I'm not going to lie, by the end of the day, my feet were kind of squishy and I was definitely ready for dry clothes. You know what I mean? But <laughs> it was definitely a learning curve of the mental game because mm-hmm. the stages weren't difficult. I mean, they, they were challenging. I don't want to say they weren't difficult. They were challenging and they had to be very technically soundly ran. And I just chose that day. I was like, just push a good pace, maintain. You know what I mean? Don't do anything crazy. You know, there's a lot of puddles. Traction isn't the best today. Just, man, you know, just have a, a good solid first. That was, my, that was my first Nats ever. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it was whatever happens, happens. But it was one of the things where that's, that's, I think that's a huge thing that people sometimes overlook is the mental game. You know what I mean? Being mentally sound. And like, have you, I mean, have you ever shot a local where, they shoot the afternoon and people take that break in the afternoon. People kind of, you know, just lollygaggle around or they're not really trying or not, you know, but then that translates in the majors. You know what I mean? Like, if you come off a lunch break, are you mentally focused on what you're getting back into? You know what I mean? Are you ready to do that? Because you'll see that. I mean, I, I think that affects a lot of people and they overlook that. It's kind of like they start looking at other things and realistically, it's sometimes like, what was I doing on that day? Like what, you know, like you got bad penalties early in the day. Was there some, you know, somebody on your squad that you know you really weren't getting along with? Not that I mean getting along, but you know, what I mean just negative people or whatnot. You know, what I mean like there's a lot of different variables other than just shooting the gun. Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's definitely a bunch of variables, and like, and I'll even speak just for myself. It's the fact that like uh, my mental like phrase or mentality for the matches, I shoot my best when I just have fun today. And, and that's what I do. I try to squad with my friends or people I enjoy um, who aren't negative Nancy's. And uh, it, it definitely makes the day better and you can shoot to your ability. As long as you have that mental, that mental focus on, you need to realize you need to have fun here, but you also need to realize the fact that you still have to shoot a match and shoot to win. Right. I think too, man, like, being a great squad mate, you become a part of other people's success. So even if you're not having the best match, you know, if you're being a good delegate for a, a squad mate or if you're helping out, you know what I mean, or it's something like that, you know, there's always benefits that can be taken away from it. You know what I mean? So it's a, uh, cause not everybody has a great match. You know what I mean? There, it, you know, every day is not going to be a win, but how often, you know, you, you see all the greats, like if they don't win, they go home and they start training harder. I mean, it's almost like uh, they see the lessons that they were served at the match, and now they know exactly what to do and how to approach the situation for the next match. Right, yeah. You know, and they know what to work on. Like, Max Michelle already has a list of probably 40 things that he's going to work on between now and whatever his next match is. You know, if that's, you know, his nutrition or his, you know, his mental fortitude throughout the day of being, you know, long, hot days or or rain or right. is it going to be double stacks at 35 yards because he wants to, or he's already got a plan and he's going to, he's going to go work on it. Just like Christian Seiler is going to go and dominate something, whatever he's going to do. He's going to go find He's he's going to reflect. He's, he's going to then dominate again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just that 
it's that mindset. I mean, you look at JJ, right? He had that squib at Nats and still maybe I think it's uh, top 16, I think it was. I mean, yeah. you have this zero on 120 round stage. So it's like there's, there's a true test of mental focus and getting yourself back into the game. You know what I mean? Because that's something that, I mean, you don't ever expect that, especially like the super squad guys. You know what I mean? For a squib round like that. and But you see how it's just, he didn't, I mean, he saw how it affected his day, but then it didn't affect his match. I mean, it affected it, yes, but he still set a new goal, right? Maintain mental focus and pushed on. You know, I mean, I'm sure everybody has their, like, oh, man, that sucks, but it's to make the best of the situation. You know, oh. I mean, your finish is going to be somebody will switch places with you a hundred times over. You know, what I mean, so it's always, always be happy with the results, but always be, wanting to try and do better the next time you're out type theory mm-hmm. yeah absolutely that's all you can hope for is just do better the next time mm-hmm. yeah so i do want to switch our conversation a little bit over to um, a couple major matches um well first of all, i want to talk about the buckeye blast because that was the first match at cardinal that you shot and mm-hmm. you know you, you kind of got a lay of the land like i told jb you need to come to buckeye blast in may because then you can see the range, you can visualize it. Because you know, we all know he's big in the visualization of like some. He's done some kooky shit with like using YouTube to visualize the world shoot here. Like, yeah. So I told him like, you need to be there. You need to shoot, and uh, and the cat, the cash kind of made it up too. Because I think he won some cash uh, coming in second at that match. But now, that being Cardinal, the Cardinal Suit Shiner's first major. How did you think that match went? It went pretty smooth, to be honest. I mean, the Buckeye Blast was uh, well ran. I liked the stages. Um, it was different shooting into the the bullet traps and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, I guess I guess the only effect was like having the percussion a little bit. But other than that, um, the layout's beautiful. Like parking is ample. You know, I mean, it, it's not like there's a a shortage of parking. The bay sizes were nice. Um, I did like there's the traction, like I said, the, the gravel was a little bit loose in spots, you know what I mean? But that you can have that at any range, you know what I mean? It's just be mindful of the traction. Uh, they definitely have deeper bays, so you're definitely going to have, you know, the bigger. Cause I, I did the same thing, like you said, with, I guess Jay did. I shot Buckeye because I had never shot Cardinal before, mm-hmm. and I didn't want Nationals being the first time. So I did the same thing. Like it was a lot of research and development for me, you know, just seeing. You know, how far the bays are from each other, the size of the bays, what you'd be encountering, stuff like that. But all in all, I think it's a, it was well ran. Dan was great about everything. And uh, I liked it that it had a good variety. You know what I mean? Like there was definitely, it wasn't just focused on one thing. I mean, like you had your mix of stages and everything like that. And I liked the visual start. That was a pretty cool one from there, mm-hmm. having the visual start and then the strong hand weekend stuff. And I and I think that's good to have those, you know, those standard stages that they call with the weekend strong hand because you realistically see how everybody reacts. You know, I mean, even like watching Super Squad guys, like I mean, unless you're JBO and guys like that that are really working on, but generally you can see where some of the weaknesses or where people don't focus as much and stuff. But all in all, I liked Buckeye Blast. I thought it was a great match. Uh, being that I was only what three hours away, it was also nice and convenient. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But all in all, I think it was it was great. Like getting to shoot all three zones at Nats was fun too because I didn't really they were still building. I think it was zone three when we were there for Buckeye. Yeah, they were throwing more gravel down on the oh, up there for sure because I definitely needed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like it was a it was like I said it was cool because just getting to see everything and then it made me more excited for Nats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like seeing the layout of it and seeing the way they were going to do things, it was cool because Nats had a good vibe to it. And same with Buckeye, like you had almost two different matches inside one match. You know, I mean, and I say that like in a good way because it gives you a good variety and a good breakup in between. You know, mm-hmm. if you get one where it's just too much, it's like, all right, but I don't know. I liked it. I mean, I didn't, I had no complaints on anything like that. And, uh, Instead of even like after I shot uh, Buckeyes, I stayed and watched Jay and them shoot for a little bit before I left, and I was still able to be home by dinner time that day. So Cardinals mm-hmm. a good, good thumbs up in my book. Right now, you mentioned the visual start. Now I've got personal opinion. I do like visual start, but I would have felt better if it was on like a field course, like a medium course, instead of the like I would have loved. You put it on the corner of a wall. Like you stand where you can see the corner and it blinks mm-hmm. at you and then you go run. Um, and Because and, cause really, if you didn't react super fast to that blink on that type of stage, run to the box, shoot the strong hand we can, it definitely could kill uh, that stage essentially. Oh, yeah, you're raw times. Mm-hmm. That reaction to that light was... I'm kind of with you on that. Like I would have liked to see it too be like on a bigger like like you said a medium course maybe but i think for that stage that's what gave it that little bit of a challenge you know what mm-hmm. i mean because because you could have done where if you just had like a table start or from behind there with a beep you know what i mean everybody's so prone and used to the beep mm-hmm. that and that little led light bar was very small so like you really had to be kind of staring at it because it was only that three tenths so like you said if it went off and you weren't paying attention you said there were some people that were standing there just kind of staring at it, and all of a sudden it was they realized what was going on. But I think it would be good in other spots like that. You know, what I mean, like I, I would even think like you said, like a small forest fire where you know you have a couple activators. Like remember the one uh, was last year's match where there was the four activators and then the four swingers. Mm-hmm. I, like, I think something like that would be kind of cool because then it's like it makes you focus on something, and then you've got to focus on a bunch of other things at the very fast pace type set up but right something different but yeah i agree no i liked yeah. it uh i got i was i was working that match so that was always a, that's always fun to go there and <clears throat> definitely have a good time with that kind of stuff and i'm excited for what cardinal has in store uh i'm hoping that you know people's criticisms of the the range from carry optics nats gets uh uplifted with iron sight nats um mm-hmm. Which I don't think anything was wrong with the facility for the nationals. I think it was purely um, a lapse of judgment in stage design or stage putting them on the ground. Because even for me, like you could tell me if I'm right or wrong, but looking at some of the videos people posted, there were so many stages that felt the same at nationals. So, yeah, some of them had the same kind of vibe. Like that one was a start stick where you go to the left side. There was, I know there were two stages where I had the kind of same starts like that. Uh, really, I mean, my, I don't know, like the stages weren't bad, but it definitely, 
I know I had favorites. Like I think it was uh stage one on zone one, where it was the seated uh, seated start with the table gun on table unloaded. That was a really fun stage because that was a completely different breakup. You know, a little bit of retreating involved. Um, and really, I mean, you got to work with what you have for the base. You know, what I mean, like like the matchbook. I never really focus. I, the matchbooks I focus on the starts, and then where I'm gonna probably do like a reload or where a reload would be relevant or possibly efficient because when we got the nats i think there was only two or three stages that actually looked like what they were supposed to do in the matchbook you know what i mean so it's like uh and that and that's the thing too because not everything that gets put on the ground is going to be the same as what you print on the paper at home you know what i mean like just because you look at it here it looks okay but then when you get down here it's like no we can't do that or that's a shoot through or you know we got to move this over here and Right. Like I was talking to like, so David did that show with Riley Bowman, right? You remember that one? Mm -hmm. And halfway, like 10, 15, 20 minutes into them talking, I messaged him and I'm like, David, the matchbook looks nothing like what's actually possible on the ground. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, really? Yeah, dude, the, like the bays are not that wide. Now, if the bays were that wide, ooh, Cardinal yeah, would be sure. like... Cardinal would be premier, like even with their zones with the wood walls, mm -hmm. if you've got that much width, oh, that would be, that would be hot money. You see, and that's the thing too, because even like, uh, like at our locals, like at Pitcairn and Roville, they do it where they let everybody, like if people have different ideas for stages, they'll be like, all right, well, we're going to give you bay three, which is the big long bay. You know what I mean? So your stage has to be a design works for that bay. Or, you know what I mean? Like in, it's beneficial sometimes, but it's even the same thing where some people will have designs where it's like, dude, we, we can't fit that in here. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to work. Or, you know, it's just, you have to work with the nature of the beast. You know what I mean? So, I, I think overall, I like Cardinal. Like, their three zones did have variety to them. You know what I mean? Because I did hear some people say that Cardinal, like, the first zone felt almost like an indoor match, very straight ahead. But, that's also kind of like positional shooting. You know what I mean? Like exit entries, efficiency of movement. You know, so if you're better at shooting while moving, that wasn't going to play into your strength. You know what I mean? Because you had to get to this spot, you had to get to this spot, you know, but then the other zones, you had way more activators. Like zone one was heavily penal you know, penalty targets, hard cover. You know, the uh, zone B or zone two was a lot more activators, a little bit more steel, a little bit closer stuff. Zone three, had a harder, you know what I mean, variables, a lot more field movement to them, you know what I mean? So, all in all, I think it was, for Cardinals' first match, I think they did great. Like, there's always going to be constructive criticism. You know what I mean? I don't care. You can't please everybody. You know what I mean? But if they take the constructive criticism and they run with it and they make it better, awesome. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean it's a beautiful facility. It can only get better, at least I would hope. You know what I mean? It's a... Mm -hmm. Definitely one of the years played that that shotgun trap shooting they have. I drove past that and I'm like, damn. <laughs> they make us look kind of kind of beating over here at the USPSA stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, like that's where the real money's at. Like, yeah. if you want to think open guns are expensive, think about like super fancy Beretta shotguns that are like ten to twelve thousand dollars for an over under or a side by side. Yeah. Like. God, like Infinity, get into the game of making shotguns. <laughs> You'll yeah, make really? more money. <laughs> I saw some of the campers that were down there. I was like, damn, man. <laughs> like, some of those RVs and campers they had, I'm like, this is definitely the sport. And, but some of the people I talked to, they said the trap 
and the sheet shooting was beautiful down there. So mm-hmm. I'd have to go down the next time and try. Well, and I think I don't know if it was just adults shooting or if it was the kids shotgun shoot. I don't know if it was the shotgun SASP or if it was because uh, I know this week as we're recording, they're finishing up SASP Steel Nationals or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Now I do want to shift our conversation a little bit. I want to do talk about you know you're somewhat involved with the section match coming up here in a little bit. I mean, or at least you're helping with what being a boot on the ground. Yeah. I'm like groundskeeper Willie. I'm <laughs> kind of player doing everything. You're rebuilding walls or help them get whatever they need. You know, I mean, the props moved around and cleaning up the landscaping and just getting everything prepped that we can. We got a lot of cool things. He's got like a world 2022 vibe. Mm-hmm. We've got steel and slider targets and, do they, have, do they have cool like dioramas on the walls? Nah, we haven't. I haven't gotten that much time. I've been too busy building and repairing walls and stuff. I, I wanted to get like some palm trees in there. You know, I mean, get some of the aesthetics. I, I told them I was like, we got to get the the bull that they all sat on for that one stage. That would be kind of cool. But, but no, we got a we got a, a slider swinger target that's on a steel ramp. That's a little bit more drastic than dragon stuff. I mean, you're gonna get a probably a solid 180 degrees of good movement side to side we've got roller coaster steel uh we got activators i think we i there was possible talks of doing the cable slider but i don't know if that was still going on or not but there's definitely going to be some some challenges that people haven't seen at other majors you know i mean and it's going to be a it's going to be a fun match so far i've got to see some of the stages that they have lined up for it and it's going to be fun now is Bill is Bill helping is Bill running this match by committee or is he pretty much you know, he designed all the stages, he's running all the admin kind of stuff or Bill's actually just Bill the owner of Greater Dave Derizia is actually uh in charge of a lot of stuff. Um okay. you know, Greg Zombeck was also uh Bill is involved with a lot like on the groundwork, you know what I mean, making sure we're getting everything done. Um but as for like the actual like match director, I believe that's Dave Derizio's job. And then there, but yes, there is like a committee group of people all involved. Yeah, you know, I mean, Bill just kind of helps out wherever he's needed. Yeah, you know, he's more of a shooter than the match director, but he's definitely he helps with whatever we need to get for it. And like I said, the sliding steel and the swinger targets and all the slider swinger man, like we just having that this year, people are gonna look at that and be like, this is awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's actually what got me on uh, Dave's show was we were talking about the difference of the Dragon Cup Swinger, you know, to ours. I sent him a video of it, and uh, I was like, yeah, man, this is going to be our sectional. And then, like, we have the roller coaster steel that goes back and forth with – we have one cart that has a two-steel setup on it, and then we have one that has three-steel. And I believe we're going to probably use the three-steel one for it, and it runs off an activator. And then we've got multiple uh, – I think there's going to be a Cooper tunnel as well. I, mean, I know I've got a door prop built. Um, there's all kinds of fun that's going on this year. It's definitely going to be a a match that people haven't seen before, but that's in a in a good way. I mean, with all the, it's not going to be carnival like. It's going to be very challenging and technical. You know what I mean? But there are definitely going to be activators and swingers. 
mm-hmm. pretty much on every stage. <laughs> right now, you know, so you, you you put it out as your you know this match is going to be a little more difficult, which it should be. I think major matches should be a little more mm-hmm. challenging than local matches, a little less challenging than area and national should be like the hardest match you shoot unless you go to worlds. Mm-hmm. Do you right, find right. that you do you find that like your Greater Pittsburgh gun club matches are level two plus stages like so you're getting used to shooting these harder let me throw my air quotes people who are listening to the audio version harder matches yeah we we really like to give the major match feel like even our local matches we really try to build challenging stages and that's where bill really gets involved like we'll dave will bring out all the match like the stages that we have designed and then if we start putting them on the ground, like we'll really start going over, like, okay, let's make this a hardcover target. Let's make this a double stack partial. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it's a, it, a lot of people, you'd be amazed how, like, we set targets out 25 yards. They're like, man, I've never, I've never shot this far in a match before. And it's like, cool. You know what I mean? And, and we always try to make it to where you're getting activators and swingers. And yeah, it's almost like a local or, you know, like a, a tier two match at a local because a lot of people don't get to practice on swingers. You know what I mean? So like, you know, if they get to see a, a swinger or a drop turn on the same stage, it's like, wow, this is really cool. And, 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 and I can understand why a lot of clubs don't want to do it because that's a lot of setup work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But, and for us, like the action pistol bays, a lot of that stuff stays on those bays. So it's kind of like, all right, we're just going to move this to this side. We're going to take this over here. Whereas, you know, other clubs, you rely on the volunteers. You know what I mean? So if you only got a handful of guys, it's really hard to be setting up a, a tier two style match if you only got a couple people. But if you can get a, a reliable group, you know what I mean? It, it does make it a lot, a lot easier. And, and we try to keep it to where it's not so crazy that we're getting – like squads backing up. We also don't want it to be super discouraging, like for new shooters, you know, low, you know, like your DC class. Or you, we, we want everybody to still have fun, but we also want you to experience like a great challenge. And we want it to be a little bit different than everybody else. Kind of give that a little bit of a talking point. You know what I mean? Right. Well, you want to be able, you want the shooters to be able to separate themselves, right? So you want the, the GMs at the top, you want the M's fighting at, you know, below that. But you still, mm-hmm. you know, you still want everyone to have fun, but still give challenges for everybody to, uh, you know, separate themselves from the pack. Absolutely. Yeah, we try to keep it as a healthy balance as we can. So that, that way, you know, we'll throw a couple little smaller stages in that feel like the hoser, you know, fast moving stages. But then like Bay 7, Bay 5 or bigger stages, you're always going to see a big field course. You're always going to mm-hmm. see a slider swinger target and probably another swinger at the other side of it. You know, it's a, it's really fun. Like we don't usually get people that are mad. You know what I mean? They're like, man, this is really fun. This is challenging. Or, you know, it's, it's, it keeps you humble, but it also makes you go home hungry. Like, all right, cool. Yeah. And then like I say it's a better mindset too. Like when you go there and you go, Oh, I've shot something like this before you go into that match going, okay, I know how at least kind of approach this or how to, you know, where to shoot that or what I should be doing or where I should be focusing on. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just good to do. I mean, and some people, man, if they got to travel, you know what I mean? Like, when we go out to DSS in Ohio, it's, what, two hours and 15 minutes, I think. But it's worth it every time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Scott, every time you go out there, it's always six stages of just what feels like a small major. You know what I mean? And it's always well-ran and always very challenging. And there's never been a time I've been out there where 
I haven't come home to like, dude, it's a great match. I mean, it's awesome. You know, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's honestly how I'd love. I want to feel like that every time I go. You 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 get better confidence in it. You shoot a quote unquote hard match. You perform very well, but you still be able to find you know what you need to improve on, and it always makes you want to go back to the next one, right? Like when you shoot a good match at you know GPGC, you're like, all right, I'm ready for the next one. Once you know, then you got to wait another month or so, or another two weeks, or that's always the fun part. Is it, 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 it kind of, it scratches the itch that you have, but then you get the itch back. <laughs> Keep chasing the dragon sales, they say. You know, yeah. where you're kind of, and that's what's nice about it because it, like around here, we got so many different locals that, you know, it's like, all right, last week I didn't shoot so well, but this week I'm going to go to East Huntington or I'm going to go to Monroeville or I'm going to go to Greater Pitt. You know, and there's always like that. You can get a quick rebound and get back in the game and shoot the next week and, so if you've been working on something in dry fire all week that was an inefficiency last week, you know, the next local, like you said, you hit the reloads perfect and it saves you time and ends up getting you the, the win for your class or your division. You know, and that's the that's the fun of it, you know what I mean? Because you know, when you do well, you want to get back out there, you want to keep riding that same pace. When you don't do well, you go home and you start to really focus on you know, what you got to do to get better. And it's like you said, you're scratching that itch either way. It's just realistically, what's the time delay in between match to match. Right. Absolutely. And, and it's always that fun thing. And I love, you know, I love having that itch. You always want to go to the next one, but you also like to take a break because burnout is real. And a lot of it, people go it, through it. I think a lot of people went through that after Nats being how early it was in the year mm-hmm. you know like you have not like there's a lot of people now are like all right well i don't shoot other divisions what do i do you know so it's kind of like uh I, I i didn't get burned out you know what i mean like i i've been shooting locals i i've been kind of focusing on the sectional and helping them with everything now but but i wasn't burned out or i think a lot of people went to mats and not, maybe got humbled you know what I mean? But when you got 500 of the best in the country, man, you know what I mean? It's really going to show the honest truth of where people stand percentage-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I do, we are getting near the end of our time today, but I do have a couple few more quite fast questions. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, who have been some people who have been like mentors and or supporters of you as you've come up in the sport? Uh, initially, man, it was, uh, Tampa Timmy. When I first got into it, he was a big help online. We were on the Mighty Armory team. Uh, Steve Anderson was a huge help in the beginning with the books and then the insider program, mental management, uh, locally, Mike Ford, Patches Reader, Ryan Schneider, uh, Bill Drummond has been a big help as recent, um, and I feel like I'm gonna be a dick if I don't say everybody, but like it's just dude, it's been I've always met just great people through the process. Like but realistically, yeah, like Big Mike's been a big help for me. Uh Patches, Ryan Schneider was always preaching to me, be clean on steel. Um there's all you you can always learn from everybody. I mean, dude, I learned one of the best tips about doing unloaded starts from a B class shooter when we were doing dry fire the one night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he's like, just don't. He's like, I just don't lift my feet, and I can do them faster. I'm like, you know, that's probably a good idea. Your shit, don't lift the feet or do anything before the mag gets the gun, and now it's unloads are there. But 
but yeah, like it, there's been Steve Anderson's been there the the whole time. Um, we've become pretty good friends. Like I said, I've taken his class, his advanced class, the mail management part of the insider program. Um, they said recently, like in the past, what's almost a year now, Bill Drummond's been a huge help with Greater Pitt. Uh, become kind of somewhat acquaintance friends with like Jay Beal and a few other people that have kind of helped out as well. But it's always the local squad, man, like Patches and Mike and all them. The guys you see me traveling with at majors, those have been the ones that have kind of took me in and never let me go. <laughs> yeah. Just as long as uh, Patches doesn't make you give him his kiss, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's I mean you gotta have you gotta have a great squad. You know what I mean? Like and and that's what really helps because if we all call each other out on stuff, you know what I mean? It's never in a bad way. It's always like a to get better, you know what I mean? And that's a that's a huge help. You know what I mean? When when you got a solid crew around you, that's what makes you a better shooter, competitor in person. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. With the great squad comes great responsibility, yet great learning opportunities and fun. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's and it's cool now because like when I first got into it, man, I'm like, man, it'd be cool just to, you know, to shoot with some of these guys. And then like I got to know Andrew Heider, and I've become pretty good friends with him now. And, you know, various other Super Squad guys. And, like my first match I ever, one of the bigger ones was Area Eight. I walked around with Chris Race and Kevin Garoppi and Wampler and all of them. And I told him I was like, dude, if I if I paint the steel, is it cool if I just walk around with you guys? You know, what I mean, I just, I'm not gonna bother you. I just want to watch and. Being, yeah, hey, we don't want to touch the paint cans or spray that or touch them. You're, you're our guy. <laughs> so, hey, those dudes, as you say. But, but yeah, like I said, it's uh, it's been fun, and I'm always willing to help people. You know what I mean? That's one thing that, like, I, I'm never going to be somebody, like, if you come up to me on a stage and go, dude, you want to walk the stage with me? Or, you know, just, like, I'm never like, oh, no, no, dude. Like, I'll always try to help because somebody did it for me. You know what I mean? There was a time when I was first getting into it and was just, like you said, just a, a freshman didn't know what the hell I was doing. Somebody's like, no, no, do this. And it definitely helps. You know, it's, it, that's what helps build the sport. Like you said, you know, it's when people are having fun, we're all here to get better. You know, it's, it's healthy competition. And, and it is, it's just a great, great core group of people around here. Yeah, absolutely. And, I can't think enough for most of the people, you know, the, the people you meet in the sport are the salt of the earth. They're good to you. They, they just want everyone to be on the same playing field and get better, which is, can't ask for anything more than that. Dude, no joke at Buckeye Blast. I actually left my passenger side truck door open and one of the local guys, Roger Elder, came up to me. He's like, I just want to let you know I shut your door for you and locked it. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so it's like, and it was cool because it's like you said, like there were so many people there. No, nothing was even bothered in my truck or anything. You know what I mean? Like, it's always just a, it's a great group of people. You know what I mean? You never have to worry about anything. Like, I've seen so many times where people's guns break or something, or, you know, they're having issues and people are over there trying to help or offering backups or stuff like that. I mean, that's what got me into the sport was shooting somebody's backups. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't have the gear, right? Like, I mean, I didn't have the X amount of thousands of dollars to just go and be like, yeah, I'm going to try this. And if I don't like it, well, it will. But, Somebody had a backup whole setup, you know what I mean? A holster and everything. And that's that's what gets people into the sport. You know what I mean? That's that's what I've always tried to really remember. Right. And that's all you can hope, you know, you can ask for too, is you know, you, you get the same thing out as somebody gave to you, and that's that's all we can ask for. 
Now, do, Drew, do you have any sponsors that you want to plug or need or have to? Uh, I'm not really sponsored per se, but I mean, I'd like a like Greater Pittsburgh Gun Club has been a huge help. So I guess like they've helped me with, I guess you could say they were kind of like a sponsorship per se, but uh, Dan from D2 Custom Guns, I mean, dude does awesome work, always cares about his product. Um, he needs to stop big, leaving all his business cards everywhere, though, on every stage. <laughs> I told him that. I was like, dude, you're going to get hit with a littering fine, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I always know when Dan's or Dan or Patches has been somewhere because it's like, I wouldn't want to pay for all those business cards, by the way. <laughs> I know. It's like two Tasmanian, Tasmanian devils walking around sometimes. But but Dan's an awesome dude, man. Like, he's, he, he really cares about his work. He's, you know, he shoots. He's, Stands by his stuff. Uh, awesome turnaround time and still doesn't sacrifice quality control. Um, like Ron Kiesel from Sigma Artworks. He's the guy that's responsible for all our awesome swingers. It'll be at the sectional this year. Uh, if anybody wants to check him out, he's got a website. Uh, Anderson Shooting. I'd like to thank Steve just for being one of the guys that's really helped me out. He still does. And he's been a big help to the sport. Uh, Brian Conley is another dude I'd like to say thank you to because he does so much for our sport. And, dude, we need a Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? Like a USPSA Hall of Fame because there's certain pe- there's certain titans of the the sport that help, you know what I mean, that aren't even shooters that sometimes don't get like the – I mean, they get recognition, you know what I mean? But still, it's a, it's a huge thing like that. But, yeah, I mean, that's – I think that's really it. I mean, all the, all the local squad has helped me out and got me to this point of, being on podcast <laughs> right exactly you know and, and we can't we, if we we listed everybody it'd be the longest uh i'd have a scroll <laughs> i'd be standing it, it, back like this trying to hold them off <laughs> exactly yeah and i agree with you on that but drew where if people want to get a hold of you and talk to you about shooting or or you know whatever where, where's the best way to reach you ah facebook instagram just look up drew maruski on instagram it's just drew underscore maruski uh just give me a direct message. I'm always at Greater Pittsburgh. I'm always there helping out or practicing. Uh, those are usually the two easiest ways. I mean, you can get hold of me by email at drewmaruski7 at gmail.com. And those would be probably the three easiest ways to get a hold of me. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. But yeah, man, anybody wants to get a hold of me, just hit me up. I'm always available. Right on. Well, Drew, brother, thank you for coming on. I've had a blast. We've talked a lot about a lot, and I think people are going to get a lot out of this one. I did, too, you know, personally just talking and having fun because we know so many of the same people. We give each other shit for it, but it's all good. So, brother, thanks for coming on. And to the listeners, get out and do the things. I will see you on the next one.